It's very frequent to hear someone say, it's my body, and I can do with my body exactly what I want. Biblically speaking, a Bible believer never uses those words. It's not my body. The body belongs to Christ. It is for His glory. Welcome to the In Doubt Podcast. Hey, my name is Isaac, and welcome to the Indo Podcast, episode number two. This is actually the second podcast in our series right now called Love and Lust. This series looks at relationships and sex and sort of gives us a biblical understanding of that. If you didn't get a chance to listen to last week's, we talked to David Demansky. He's a, a triple X church community group leader from the East Coast in the States. He actually shared about his personal story with sexual addiction, uh, pornography being the outlet to that for him. Anyways, it's a great story. He was a great guy, so make sure to give that a listen. So for today, apart from listening to my voice, you get to hear a conversation that I had the privilege of having with Dr. John Newfeld from Back to the Bible Canada on sexual immorality, but focusing more on the other side, the side of freedom. Dr. John is a national and internationally known Christian speaker. He's really known for his expository preaching, preaching book by book and verse by verse. We're actually going to be listening to that coming up in just a moment. And then after the conversation, I'm going to be pulling out some of the things that we talked about and sort of elaborate a bit more on them. So first, here's my conversation with Dr. John. Hey, it's Isaac here. I'm with uh, Dr. John Newfeld, and he is the Bible teacher for Back to the Bible Canada. Actually, if you didn't know, In Doubt is uh, sort of a, a ministry of Back to the Bible Canada. So, Dr. John and I, uh, we are actually uh, fellow workmates. Yeah, it's, it's great to work with you, Isaac, and it's great to be on this program together. I just think that, that what you're doing with In Doubt is that such an important ministry, and I'm glad to be a part of it. We, for this series, have been talking a lot about relationships, talking about sex, talking about young adults and, and uh, how, how kind of the idea and the, and the truth of sex and relationships sort of fits into their lives. Um, for this specific conversation I want to have with you, I do want to just start off with asking you, what is biblical sexual immorality? So when we read in the Bible, Paul says, don't commit sexual immorality. What does he mean by that? Yeah, I think there are two Greek words that speak to this, and the one Greek word is akatharsia, which means uncleanness, sexual uncleanness, and it is the umbrella term. It talks about all activity that is condemned in Scripture. Anything that God views as unclean sexually, that's what's in that category. The second one is a word that you know people will readily recognize when I say it. It's the word porneia. Right. And uh, we get our English word pornography from that, although in the Greek, porneia, again, it's an umbrella term, and it speaks of all sexual activity. So this is actual sex itself, uh, which is not within the confines of marriage. Anything outside of marriage that is sexual is porneia. Akatharsia can also include attitudes that we might have 
or internal attitudes or uh, uh, inclinations that we hide in our own hearts, those can be unclean as well, whereas porneia tends to refer to the actual act itself. Okay. So when you read, though, uh, Paul saying don't commit sex, it's, he's very strong. Yeah, he and he, he, he puts a, a lot of emphasis on this. Why, why is that? Uh, first of all, I think the Bible says that our body is not our own. Uh, it was bought at a price, and uh, knowing that our body does not belong to us, you know, in a culture in which we live in, it's very frequent to hear someone say, it's my body, and I can do with my body exactly what I want. Biblically speaking, a Bible believer never uses those words. It's not my body. The body belongs to Christ. It is for his glory, and it is for that reason also that our sexuality, part of our creation, I mean, we are created as sexual beings, and I think we're going to probably chase that down, right? Exactly. Uh, but I, I know that uh, how we conduct ourselves in every area of life is unto the Lord. So God is the judge of all behavior. Right. So what exactly is God's purpose for relationships and sex? Yeah, let me tie that together. I mean, obviously, the sexual act is for procreation. You know, a man and a woman, and for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, Genesis 1, and shall cling to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Uh, there it is a, a reference to the sexual act. And in the becoming of one flesh, uh, the next generation comes out of this, this oneness between a man and a woman. So the loving interaction and intimacy between a man and a woman gives rise to the next generation. That's how God designed us to be, and that's how he designed procreation to be. It should come out of an act of love. And how are men and women sexually different? I think one can only make... Uh, um, you know, large statements here. I mean, I think there are going to be a number of people are going to say, but, and they're going to talk right. about incidental differences. Mm -hmm. But as a whole, I'm going to say this. Uh, men tend to think categorically and women tend to think holistically. Um, so that a woman tends to think in terms of relationship and life as a whole. And a man often thinks about the sex act in and of itself, like in a category and a room by itself. Uh, when I have done men's retreats, and helping men to think about, you know, what does ethical action look like in every area of my life? I, I always tell men that we tend to think about, you know, the different activities, work, home life, um, you know, vacations, um, uh, whatever else I'm involved in. Maybe I'm involved in a sports club or something of that nature. All of those things we think of as a category independent of the others. Um, that's just how we are. Uh, but what I say to men is we need to bleed integrity into all of those categories. See, that's why a man will often say to his wife, if he's committed adultery, it didn't mean anything. Mm. And she can't conceive of how that can be because she thinks of life holistically and can't imagine that the holistic part of us would so involve ourselves with another human being. And the guy will simply say, yeah, but this exists only in this category. Uh, it is one of the differences between men and women, and it's one of the reasons why men can go off to war, and when they go off to war, they can fight like fury and come home, and actually, I mean, I know it's not categorical, but I think men are better at simply walling that part of their lives off from the rest of life. I think God has created that, and there are some advantages to being that way. There are disadvantages to being that way. That's why I think there is a man and a woman, and that their differences complement each other but it comes into the sexual act as well. 
That's good. Thanks, John. So what about freedom from sexual addiction? We know there are many people, you know, as young as 14, 15 even, that are addicted to things that we would deem as sexual immorality. What does freedom from that look like? Um, you know, obviously we're talking about pornography and other things as well. And I do know that there is a place for the law in Scripture. I mean, you know, sexual uncleanness of all kinds are roundly condemned in Scripture. So we know what God wants of us. He wants our entire sanctification. He wants us to be holy all the way through. And so he tells us explicitly what it is that he condemns. And so Jesus said, if you look at a woman to lust after her, you're actually committing adultery in a hard attitude. And so this is, in fact, in a sense, this is the law. Don't do it. That's what the Bible tells us. Don't do it. So, you know, we know what God wants, but simply knowing what God wants doesn't give us the power to know how to accomplish the will of God. So we do need the Holy Spirit. We do need the means of grace. Now, here I'm using the word means of grace quite deliberately, but there are means of grace that God provides us. And one of the ways in which we do that is, I'm going to say that by familiarizing ourselves with the Bible, knowing the Bible, knowing the thoughts of God, beginning to find delight in what God wants, is certainly the beginning of finding a new satisfaction in our heart that we begin to find God and his ways ultimately satisfying. Having said that, Isaac, I'm going to say to you that, look, you and I know that that the body still has its own desires and wants and can sometimes act almost independently of our wills. And so that's the fight that is on. So from my vantage point, what I like to say to young men is to say, I'm not going to come in condemning you. I will stress what's righteous, but I will help to work with you to say, how can we find ways to trust in the power of God through the Holy Spirit and to win this war? So what exactly does delight in God look like? It could sound ambiguous and you know, hard to understand to some people. Well, I think the first thing that I would encourage anyone to understand is that how thorough and complete and overwhelming is the forgiveness of God found in the cross of Jesus. I do know that there are all sorts of individuals who struggle in the area of sexual temptation, fall frequently, and cannot come to believe that God would forgive them. You know, uh, Peter comes to Jesus and says, I mean, how often should I forgive my enemy when he sins against me? You know, seven times. And Jesus says 70 times seven, and he doesn't mean, you know, calculate it out. He means that there is no end of the forgiveness that we offer. Well, if that's true in terms of our relationship with one another, how much more so is that the case to anyone that comes before the Father and says, I've fallen in this area of pornography before, and I come to you again, and I plead with you forgiveness. Will we not find that before his throne of grace? So I want to speak to you about grace first of all. Uh, And then after having spoken about grace, I also know that anyone who's born again has received a new pure set of desires. They don't want to fall on this anymore. So what they need to do is learn to control this ferocity of the flesh. They need to learn how to say no to the flesh and yes to the Word of God. And I'm going to say that only comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way that happens. Any thoughts on married men and women who struggle? Yeah. I I do know that the Apostle Paul does teach us in 1 Corinthians 7 that if there's, a, if there's somebody who's struggling with sexual desires and they can't control them, they should get married. And marriage is God's design 
so that this this power that is there within our bodies is satisfied within the context of marriage. I mean, God really does call for the married couple, the man and the woman, to satisfy and to please each other sexually. That is God's command to us. You know, I mean, sometimes people say, really, God commands it? Yes, he does. Um, and uh, it is for intimacy, and it is also for the next generation, to producing a new generation. But also, you know, men are going to find, and women will find this out as well, that marriage itself will not end all of the temptations. And you and I talked about this. I mean, one of the things, a discipline of the mind, is that, you know, for men who are very visually oriented, men will have to begin to develop a discipline in the mind in which they look at their wife and they discipline themselves to say, she is my heart's desire. The way she visually looks is all that I want. And the more that you do self-talk that way and ask the Holy Spirit to help you and see in her what beauty actually is, it's amazing how so much of the temptation that we deal with begins to melt away because she ends up being your whole heart's desire. And I would say the same thing to women as well. In women, the sexual dynamic is somewhat different than men, but I would say to married women, find out who your husband is, find out what he loves and what he doesn't love, and begin to desire the things that your husband does and enter fully into his world and find him to be your satisfaction. I think it does so help these sexual tendencies to stray. Yeah, that's great wisdom. What would you say, as we wrap up, what would you say is the next step for the church? Uh, right now, if you look at North America, even Western civilization, there is a there is a silent epidemic of sexual addiction. Yes, there is. And it's, uh, I mean, we both have seen it uh, in our own churches and in the people we know. And we've seen it uh, destroy marriages. You've seen it destroy even their own faith. What is the next step for the church to really take? I think there are a couple of ways that we can, first of all, help people. One is we need to acknowledge what you've just said. Uh, secondly, you know, Jesus says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. You know, that your right eye causes. In other words, do whatever violence you need to do to yourself to resist the temptation that you're struggling with. Because if you lie down in this temptation or if you lie down in this sin, you're going to die. And what, do you, what does that mean? So I'm going to say practically what it's going to mean is that if you have a computer in a place where no one else is around, you can't do that anymore. You just can't. You're going to have to say, I can't have that. If you can't have an internet connection in your home, you need to cut it off. So what you're really saying is you want these young people and whatever, these churchgoers who are actually passionate about changing to be radically counterculture to our culture today because having no Wi-Fi in your house or no computer is crazy yeah. to the world. Well, maybe you have a computer, but you don't have a Wi-Fi, right? And you got to go out to Starbucks where everyone's looking over your shoulder where you might feel a little more inclined to not do what you would do in the darkness of your own room. And so each individual knows where their temptations are the greatest. And wherever they are the greatest, never subject yourself to that. See, let Joseph, you'll remember the story of Joseph, he's got Potiphar's wife who's making advances at him, and instead of staying in the house, he rushes outside of the door. We need to flee from those sexual temptations that would ensnare our souls. So run away from whatever scenario you are weakest in. You're not going to master that weakness in those areas. You're simply going to flee from them 
and do that with regular efficiency and do whatever needs to be done. And it's amazing. Whenever I talk this way, Isaac, people will say, I, I, I kind of get that because I can identify exactly where those areas are. Most people do. It's interesting just talking about Joseph and Potiphar. Even when he ran away, she had her his coat. Yes, she did. And I think even <laughs> if you have to leave some behind, get get out. Yeah, you know, so so an individual may not feel as pure as Joseph because Joseph never fell into that once, and we really never have to. And that's what I want to say to us. We don't have to, provided that we safeguard those areas where we're weak. And I think that's Joseph's example to us. Right. So using that and Jesus' example of gouging out your eye, do what it takes. Because if we carry on in sin and will not fight this battle, we will die. Right. That's good. Well, thank you so much, uh, Dr. John. That was an amazing time just to talk about uh, biblical sexual morality, but also how we as, uh, as Christians can fight that. And that really looks like cutting off the hand and gouging out the eye in, a, in Jesus' sense. And uh, really finding delight in Jesus more than delighting in your own pleasures of your flesh. But thank you so much. Thank you. So a few things I want to look at, things that came out of the conversation with Dr. John and I. Firstly, I want to look at the fact that our body is not our own and sort of investigate the implications to what that means biblically. Secondly, I want to look at the biblical understanding of when Jesus says the whole, you know, cut off your hand and gouge out your eye. It seems intense, but the biblical truth in what Jesus is saying is actually profound and our culture needs to hear and apply it today. And lastly, I want to emphasize the truth that Dr. John said when he said, how thorough and complete and overwhelming is the forgiveness of God found in the cross of Jesus. So let's look at this fact that our body is not our own. The initial verse that speaks about this clearly is 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. It says this, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. These two verses are found in Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth. The city of Corinth was a popular city, and it really emphasized and boasted in its sexual activity, if you will. It wouldn't be unusual to see the worship of sex gods and prostitutes all around in Corinth. Anyways, through the power of the Spirit, Gentile Corinthians came to believe in Jesus, and Paul is writing to them for their encouragement, and also just to teach them. They were new believers, living in a hypersexualized pagan culture. They needed more understanding on who Jesus was and what the Spirit can do inside of them. So in this specific chapter of 1 Corinthians 6, Paul spends some time talking about sexual immorality. Paul is really emphasizing this. When you are a born-again Christian, you've become one with the risen Christ. So if you commit sexually immoral acts with others, you're, in a sense, becoming one with that person completely disregarding your state with Christ. Verse 16 says this, Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two shall become one flesh. And that's Paul quoting Genesis 2 verse 24. One of the lies that the enemy whispers and sometimes shouts into the ears of those who struggle with sexual addiction is this, You can sin this way without seriously affecting your relationship with Christ. Many people end up believing this because they've also believed the lie that they will never obtain victory. 
It's a sad reality that many live in. And I think it's important and completely necessary for Christians to encourage those who are struggling and say, what Bible are you reading? You can definitely have victory in and through the strength of Christ. So our body is not our own because we were bought with a price. You see, we, being sinners, were purchased by the blood of Jesus on the cross. And this is something every Christian needs to remind themselves of all the time. We forget the high cost that Jesus paid for our souls. We, being sinners, deserve eternal death. The wages of sin is death. Jesus' payment for us is what we hold on to for eternal life with him. One last thing before we move on to the next point. In Mark 12, we read a story of some Pharisees coming up to Jesus to try and test him, to get him mixed up in his words. They ask, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Jesus, knowing that they were trying to fool him, asked to see a denarius, a coin. He asks them, whose inscription is on this coin? They say, Caesar's. And then Jesus says this, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And then it says that they, the Pharisees, marveled at him. You see, we read in Genesis 1, 26, that we were made in the image and likeness of God. Human beings bear the image of God. So render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and give to God the things that are his, meaning us. Secondly, let's look at this whole idea of cutting off our hands and gouging out our eyes. First and foremost, Jesus is not being literal. Let's look at this passage. Matthew 5, verse 27 to 30 talks about lust. Jesus, during the Sermon on the Mount, brings up multiple issues that the Pharisees weren't taking to heart, lust being one of them. In this passage, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And then we read this. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It's not just important for us to maintain physical purity and faithfulness, but also mental purity. Lust starts in the heart and can eventually lead to physical actions. Jesus is using outrageous overstatement to really hammer in his passion on this subject. Dr. John uses the word violence we can do. This isn't violence in the sense of anger and like crazy physical violence, but violence in the sense of real hard-hitting actions against what we see and what we do to keep ourselves from lusting. Jesus is saying, do whatever it takes to keep yourself from falling into lust, because if you deliberately don't and not even try not to, then the end is not pleasant, as Jesus has said. And lastly, I want to briefly look at what Dr. John said when I asked him what delighting in God looked like. Because truly, it's delight in God that will change one's heart attitude from pleasing the desires of the flesh to delighting in God and what he himself delights in. Things like purity, faithfulness, love, joy, and more. So Dr. John said that the first thing that he would encourage anyone to understand is how thorough and complete and overwhelming is the forgiveness of God found in the cross of Jesus. 
Thorough in the sense that nothing, absolutely no sin, no matter the weight, is too much for the cross of Christ. The death of Jesus paid for all. No act of adultery, no amount of hours put to watching pornography, absolutely no amount of sexually immoral activity is too much for the cross of Christ. With Jesus comes forgiveness, and his forgiveness can wash over all. It's in the same sense that it's complete. Jesus died and paid for all once for all. It's complete. So live in that victory that Christ has redeemed you. And how overwhelming is the forgiveness of Christ? I remember way back in high school, I'd acted out rebelliously for a good seven to eight months. I got mixed up with partying and did some stupid things. I remember going to my parents after feeling convicted and telling them everything. The amount of love and forgiveness I received from them was truly incredible. I'm sure many of you have also felt compassion without deserving it. Well, the power of compassion and forgiveness that flows through the cross is more than anything you could ever imagine. How thorough and complete and overwhelming is the forgiveness of God found in the cross of Jesus. Well, that wraps up the In Doubt podcast episode number two. We have another podcast in this Love and Lust series, so be sure to check that out. We'll be engaging more on this topic of relationships and sex. I hope you've enjoyed this time with us and enjoyed this conversation we had with Dr. John. To find out more about In Doubt and to listen to more podcasts, visit indoubt.ca, find us on Facebook, and talk to us. We want to hear from you. If you have any stories, any comments, or whatever you want to share with us, let us know. That being said, I'm Isaac, and this is the In Doubt Podcast.